come to know this promise, this, this first speaking of the gospel in types and shadows, Eve was promised that the serpent crusher would come through her offspring. And subsequently, Abraham is promised his offspring will bless all of the peoples of the earth. Matthew's gospel picks up on this theme and goes to great lengths to trace the lineage of Jesus to Abraham. It's safe to conclude that Jesus was, is a child of Abraham, and yet, kind of mind-blowingly, Jesus is the Word made flesh, the author of all creation. Before Abraham, he was, and is, and is to come. With a backdrop of of lineage and the trial of Jesus looming in the near future, we have kind of a court trial-like scene to conclude chapter 8. The trial before the infamous trial of Jesus. Looking at these these Jews that have supposedly believed, Jesus is facing with this, this question. Is there enough evidence to prove them a child of God, or as it says in the passage, a child of the devil? We must also face the same question ourselves, which is our main idea. Our main idea is this. Whose child are you? Whose child are you? Each of us faces this question in life. In whom do I belong? Who is over me? Who is directing my steps? Who is going to guide my life? Whose child are you? Who do you belong to? We've worked our way through this time of teaching and conflict in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. We must remember the group Jesus is speaking to were identified all the way back in verse 30, a few weeks back. John 8.30 says this, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This isn't speaking of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, but the group of Jews that is around Jesus as he's walking through and teaching in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a certain group of Jews who believed in Christ, but as, as Brian pointed out last week in his sermon, they didn't take all that he taught seriously. And we find an important lesson here. And this one, I'm, I'm giving you guys for free. It's not tied into the sermon directly. But here, here's a, a quick lesson that we have that we can pull uh, from this passage. There's no middle ground with following Jesus. You can't ride the fence with, with Jesus and the world, with God and Satan, You're either with him or you're against him. You're either all in or you're not in at all. He either receives all of us or none of us. Jesus begins to hint at the question, whose child are you back in verse 37, back in last week's sermon? It says this, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, right? Their lineage comes through him, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. With this, let's get on with the trial or the court case. So first we have this. We have an accusation. We have an accusation. The accusation is entered for the record. All the world knows, and the question will be answered, whose child are you? Verse 39 to the beginning part of 41. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Abraham listened to God, didn't he? You are doing the works your father did. Jesus here doesn't mince words, does he? He is clear with the issues, with the accusation. These Jews claim to have believed in Jesus, and yet it becomes clear that they are not willing to put their faith in all that Jesus has instructed, especially going back to last week's passage, acknowledging that they are, in fact, enslaved to sin. They are slaves to their own flesh. 
Thus they are still in their sins, enslaved to the Father they truly claim through not their words, but their works and actions. This Father is not Abraham whom they claim or God. We'll find out just in a little bit who their true Father is. But we also find here in this passage that Abraham is an example to be followed. By faith, he trusted God's words, leading him out of his homeland into the promised land and leading him to step out in faith and obedience to God's command to do what? What was this, the great challenge for Abraham in his life? What was he called to do? Someone call it out. To sacrifice his son, Isaac. To slay the promised son, Abraham understood God's call in his life, and by faith, he received all of God's instructions and commands. Righteousness, Scripture tells us, was credited, okay, like a bank account, like a bank transaction, was credited to Abraham, not by his own works, but by trusting the Lord's words. We must ask ourselves the same question, do I trust God? especially when it comes to my sin debt being paid. Have I trusted the Lord to cover all my sins? Have I truly humbled myself, acknowledged my sin, and received all of the words of God? And so uh, these accusations go against these Jews that have supposedly believed, and now they enter their plea. It's our next point. Here's their plea. The Jews who believed now respond, uh, the latter part of verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. They're disagreeing with the accusation that Jesus has presented. Jesus, they say, we assure you, we are not guilty of this accusation. How many of us have have wrestled with this question in in their culture? If they upheld the law, atoned for their sins through sacrifice, and attended the ceremonies and festivals, right? They're all good. I'm good. I checked all the boxes. But they never considered that they were still, as Paul would say in the first few chapters of Ephesians, that they were still dead in their trespasses and sin, They had yet to do this, to humble themselves before God, who is right in front of them. I keep reminding you of this. Jesus, although fully man, is God in the flesh, right before them, they're face to face with God. They have yet to humble themselves before God. Their plea then is this, not guilty, Jesus, we're not guilty of what you say. And if they're not guilty of the accusation, what are they calling Jesus? They're saying he's a liar. And so the evidence is presented, number three. Jesus now enters the evidence of their rejection of God as Father. Verses 42 and 43. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. The evidence is clear. If they truly were of God, they would love Jesus. And and proof of loving Jesus is found in believing and holding to his words and instruction. But they cannot bear to hear his word. Because it does this, it confronts their willing disobedience to the God that they claim. 
right? I just came from a foreign country and I needed an interpreter a lot. It's, it's like the, the words of God to them are like a foreign language and there's no interpreter for them to help, help understand. I'm thankful that I have an interpreter. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He makes his word alive to me. He has made Christ alive to me. He has quickened my spirit, my flesh, to be awakened to the goodness of Jesus that I can receive him as both Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God has interpreted it so that he has caused me to walk in the ways of the Lord. I'm thankful for that. The evidence is this. they They have failed to believe the words of God's only Son. How can you say you are a child of God and not receive by faith all the words of God? We have to receive all of it. We have to take God at his word. Simply put, do we, Christians, do we trust the word of God, all of it? Or do we just want to take the bits and pieces we agree with and throw out the rest? Is our trust in the, in the word of God evident on our lives? Or do we just pay lip service to God and then go out and live our own way? And so we come to point number four, the verdict. Right? The accusation has been stated, a, a plea entered, evidence presented, and now the great judge Jesus declares the verdict, the question presented, whose child are you? This is heavy right here. 44 to 46. The verdict, Jesus says this to these, these Jewish men who have supposedly believed in him. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. You're not only under the devil, but you work the way that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. It shows who he truly is. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice it says lies repeatedly there. The Bible wants you to hear that word. One characteristic of God is that he is truthful characteristic of Satan is that he is a liar. But because this is awesome, you see darkness and light, dishonesty and truth, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. (laughs) Which one of you convicts me of sin? That's what Jesus is saying. If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? The verdict is in. Who's their father? Your father is the devil. What an incredible statement. And we will soon find that it will not be received well by the Jews, will it? Jesus has concluded on the matter, and I'll say this, this isn't just specific to this time frame. He will do so with each and every one of us. Because the the reality and point of the matter is this. Are we a child of God or are we a child of the devil? There is no middle ground. Do we live for God's glory alone or do we try to share in God's glory, thus abandoning the Father? These Jews have not received God's only Son. 
and trusted every word he has said, even when it challenged their own beliefs and viewpoints. This is important. Hear this. Does God's word challenge your belief and the way you live? Does it challenge you? Are you sharpened by it? Are your eyes opened at times when you read things from the scripture? It should. It should be like, like sandpaper. You start with you know, really rough, coarse sandpaper when you're working a piece of wood to smooth it out, and then it, it gets refined more and more, finer and finer, finer sandpaper. That's what God's word is like rubbing up against us. When we first come to know Christ, it's very coarse and painful at times to give up our old ways, but we're refined more and more and more into the image of our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Does God's word challenge the way you live? If we're not willing to receive all of Jesus, the verdict is that we are still a child of the devil. If we want to explain away things in scripture and disregard them, we have to look at where our faith and trust is. And this sounds harsh, but I will give an account for the way that I lead the people of this church. If we don't hold to faith in Christ and hold to every word that he has taught, the conclusion is clear here. We live as liars and murderers. You may think that's a serious accusation. Yes, it is. Because fake Christian faith is very dangerous. It's dishonest because it claims to live one way and believe in God's Son, but fails to do so deep down in the core of who we are. And if we give others false security, we have a hand in not sharing the full truth and risk leading people towards a path of destruction. We too would be then aligned with the devil in the accusation of murder. The devil had a hand in the death sentence that accompanied sin when Adam and Eve failed to take God at his word. That was their sin. They elevated their wants and desires. They glorified themselves above God. They were created to reflect the image of God in all of creation, to to spread the image of God, the glory of God in all of creation, to be fruitful and multiply. And they failed when they believed the great liar, Satan. And Satan had a hand, as I was saying, in the death sentence that accompanied sin. Instead of taking God at his word, they believed Satan's twisted lies and deception. Simply put, trust God and his word, all of it. Don't let the verdict conclude on that great day of judgment that you are guilty of being a son of the devil. Rather, let us be guilty of being what? A child of the king, a child of God. But the Jews have one last kind of gasp of air. Many tri- trials when the defendant reads, uh, receives the death penalty, which is exactly what Jesus is implying with the verdict, they're granted what? We have the appeal process, don't we? And so there's an appeal here. They make an appeal. Here's the appeal to the verdict. They're going to try to turn the tables on Jesus The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? Oh, implying that he's not a true Jew and not of the father. And you, Jesus, have a demon. You're really the son of Satan. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, 
but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. He is the judge. Who's that one? It's the Father in heaven. The appeal, right, is quickly squashed. Isn't it typical when we're cornered, when we fail to acknowledge our shortcomings, we lash out, right, and deflect? Jesus, you're, you're not of the Father. You're a, you're, a, you're a demon. Your Father's Satan. I'm just going to deflect. I'm going to turn the mirror on you. That is exactly what these supposed believing Jews are doing. They claim in, in, in a derogatory language, Jesus, you're just a half-breed, and God is not really your Father. And if he isn't, you're a liar and you're of the devil. Can you imagine saying that to God's only son? We should be cringing right now. Let's think about this. These these Jews claimed belief back in verse 30, yet they didn't receive all of God's word as Brian taught in last week's sermon. And the evidence is proven true by their response to Jesus's claims. Instead of doing this, instead of falling on their face and repenting before God's only son, they doubled down on their position. They think this, the problem must be with Jesus because it couldn't possibly be with me. Or the problem must be with his word because it couldn't possibly be this persuasion that I feel deep down in my soul. This inclination that I have to sin. It couldn't possibly be that. So it must be something wrong with the Bible and its teachings. Heard that before. Think about this for just, just a second. Do you do this? Do you hear this? When the mirror is turned on us, do we lash out in deflection and accusation? Do we try to poke holes in the word of God where we don't understand or it offends our fallen moral compass? Family, our moral compass of our own will and drive is fallen. It's sinful. We need God's compass. We need his guiding Holy Spirit. We need his word. We need salvation through his son. We need to be reconciled to Father God and called his children. And if we trust our own fallen moral compass more than the the true and perfect word of God, we reject Christ through action, our beliefs in God's only son and trust in his word. We reject those things through our actions. This is a critical question now. Whose child are you? And is there enough evidence to, one, either positively convict you of being a child of God or two, negatively convict you of being a child of God? the devil. Here's what's at stake, eternity. Eternity is at stake. And this is the conclusion of the the matter here. We must receive all of the claims of Jesus if we are to enjoy eternal life, I would say resurrection life with him. Jesus, the great I am, as he calls himself here. 51 to 59. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, right? Eternal life. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Uh, yeah. And the prophets died? Yes. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. 
It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God, but you have not known him. Things are going to start getting sticky here. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Jesus is truthful. Your father Abraham, now he's an example, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham, right? It just doesn't, they can't hear it. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, hear this. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, this is important, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus has made a massive claim here. He's claimed that he is equal to God, that he has the very name of God, I am. And he's so powerful that the next statement says, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus lays his own life down when he's ready to. No one can take it from him. Jesus now holds up Father Abraham as a great example of faith. And Jesus conveys that this this is the anticipation of the great men of faith all throughout the Old Testament. They anticipated and trusted God to send a Messiah. That's where their faith was. Abraham had firsthand evidence of God's powerful saving influence. When in obedience to God, he lifted, if we take ourselves to the scene on the top of that mountain with Isaac on the altar, and Abraham lifted the knife to slay his own son, and yet God stopped him. And a substitute sacrifice was provided. A ram just so happened to be caught in the thicket that took the place of Isaac on the altar. If this isn't a picture of the substitutionary death of Jesus, I don't know what is. A foretelling of the one to come. The once and for all sacrifice, as Hebrew says, Jesus. Abraham must have believed that if, it, if in fact he did though, was a, if he was able to kill his son, Abraham must have believed that God was going to do this, raise him from the dead. That Isaac would have been resurrected. If not, Abraham risked the promises that God had had given him. That through Isaac, his son, all the nations would be blessed. He trusted God's plan and instruction. He believed that our God is a God of life. Our God is a God of life. Of eternal life. Of resurrection life. And yet, with Isaac on the altar... The time for resurrection had not yet come. It was not time. Rather, it was a test of faith and a foretelling, a beautiful picture of of the true Son of God who would come to substitute Himself, save us, and raise from the dead in victory over sin and death. The chosen Son who would truly bless all the nations of the earth. I just got to sing beautifully with African people the praises of God. It was, it was but a, a foretaste of the new heavens and new earth when people of all tribes and nations and languages will sing praises to God in heaven. Jesus truly blesses all the nations of the earth. 
Jesus claims here that through faith in him, we will have eternal life, resurrection. And he backed this up with his own resurrection. In the Old Testament, it was faith that anticipated the Lord's coming. In the Gospels, right, in the present time that Jesus walked the earth, it was faith in the one Jesus who was right before them. And in our time, it's faith as we look back to the great accomplishment of Jesus. His perfect life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection. And it is here he uses the striking title, I am. God is in your midst. Jesus is God. We must place our faith in Jesus and receive all of his word. I want to affirm we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And this is understood through the word of God alone. And so, the question each of us must face is this. Whose child are you? Who do you belong to? We have one life to live. Will the evidence support that our life is lived in obedience to Jesus or allegiance to his enemy, the devil? Whose child are you?